was just looking outside and something just blew up. What in the world is going on? Our very freedom came under attack in a series of deliberate and deadly terrorist acts. News Talk 850 WFTL presents 9-11-01. 20 years later, here's Karen Curtis. We are remembering where we were 20 years ago on 9-11. And I'm talking to a lady who's been on the radio as long as I have, well, a little bit longer. And at that time, it was like the only time in your life, Jennifer Ross, that you weren't on the radio. Yeah, it was one of the one, right in the middle of that wonderful uh, CBS lawsuit. Uh, they threw me off the air, uh, not because of me, but because of what the radio station was doing. So I was home for a year doing nothing. I'd been thrown off in August. So I was home just about a month. And I'm, I was at the house hanging out in the backyard. I think I was cleaning the pool. And my husband was home. And he all of a sudden came outside and he went, Matt Lauer's back on TV. He said something about a little plane hit the World Trade Center. He goes, come on. He goes, you're going to come see this. And he's a pilot, your ex-husband. Yeah, he is a pilot still for American Airlines. Uh, So I was like, okay. So I came back in and we both sat there and they hadn't shown the World Trade Center yet. It was just Matt and I think Katie Couric talking. And all of a sudden they showed the World Trade Center. And I... Remember it as clear as day. My ex-husband turned around, he looked at me, and he went, that's not a little plane. That's a commercial plane that hit that building, and we're under attack. He and did I, after the first plane. I, well, you never, you, no one saw the first plane. Right. All you saw was the aftermath, right. and they said it was a little plane. And I went, you're crazy. He said, no little plane put a hole like that in the side of that building. He said that was a commercial airliner and no commercial pilot leaving out of JFK or Logan or not Logan. JFK is going to hit the towers. He said th- th- so he's thinking they were local planes. Right. So I was like, OK, we're what do you mean we're under attack? He said somebody deliberately flew that plane into that building. And I went you and I'm looking at him going, you're nuts. You're crazy. Literally for 15 minutes. I'm telling him he's a nut. He hit it right, obviously, unfortunately, right on the head. So were you watching when the second plane hit the second tower? When the second plane hit, we both, I mean, like everybody else, it was incredulous. And it was one of those moments where you're like, oh, my God, we really are under attack. And they just flew a plane into the World Trade Center. Um, The interesting thing about our story was as the morning progressed and you learned more about where the flights originated from, what flight numbers they were, one of the planes that hit the World Trade Center was American Airlines Flight 93. Do you believe no, it was 93? Sp- Shanks- was Shanksville. So it was, was, it was 11. Ele- whatever the and one Muhammad was. And Muhammad Atta was flying. It was the first plane. It was the first plane out of Logan. The, and my next thing you know, my husband's on the computer. I went, well, what are you doing? He goes, I'm looking up the, the number on this plane. And I said, what are you doing that for? He goes, that's my plane. <gasps> I said, what do you mean that's your plane? He goes, that's, he flies. My husband at the time was flying Boston to L.A. And he would leave from here. He'd go Miami to Boston and back. And then he'd, the second leg, he would stay in Boston overnight, leave the next morning for California, do cross-country California back to Logan, and then back to Miami. He deadhead. And I went, what do you mean that's your plane? He goes, that's my plane. That's serial number, blah, blah, blah. And he's looking it up online on American Airlines. And he went, oh, my God. Oh, the end number, yeah. He's like... That's the plane I flew yesterday. And I went, oh, my God, the day before he switched. He was supposed to be flying the day of 9-11. We switched because we were going on vacation. He needed the extra day for some. It had something to do with scheduling you to clean the pool. Yeah. But he had. But he had switched the days. 
So had it been a normal schedule, it would have been his plane that Ada had taken over. Oh. And, and But, you know, I look at my husband was a military like phenom. So I, I'm thinking, would things have been different and ended differently had he been the captain? Yeah. Did he mention what he would have done? I, I, knowing my ex-husband as well as I know my husband, knowing his military background, he would have done everything in the world not to hit a civilian. He might have downed the plane in the Hudson. He might have downed it in the ocean. I, he would have but done everything. what about everything. hand-to-hand contact? He might combat have. With the- I, it depends on, you know, we really don't know what the situation was before the plane went into the building. Right. You know, did, did he kill, you know, all the flight attendants first and just rush the cockpit and take them out right away? Did they get shot? Did they get stabbed? Did, you know, I no one knows. And at that time, did the cockpit door lock? No. Mm-hmm. No. You could just go. Well, it probably locked, but I'm sure it wasn't. That's everything changed after that protocol for commercial airlines changed dramatically after that. I don't know if yeah. I can tell you what I know about. Yeah, go if ahead. It, if it happens again, what a commercial pilot can do now. Oh, where they didn't have the right before it used to be, at least with American Airlines before 9-11. The the protocol used to be if there was a hijacker on board, you do everything the hijacker wants. You participate. You agree. You fly to whatever. But traditionally, they didn't kill the pilots. Right. You know, it wasn't a suicide mission. It was they wanted the plane to go somewhere with them on it or to pick somebody up. So the the protocol used to be don't argue with them, don't fight with them, agree with them. There's ways that planes can communicate with ground control so they know that the plane's been hijacked. Ah. Uh, it's kind of like a secret alarm in a bank. Uh, so... They knew in Logan or whoever, I think there's a button they push or a sequence of things that they do. Uh, So the people on the ground know the plane's been hijacked. Whether or not they even knew that at Logan, did they even have time or at the air traffic control tower that picked them up outside of New York, did they know? Because you switch, obviously, as you go across the country, your base of where you check into switches. Well, I know the tower was talking to Ada and he accidentally had his mic open and the tower's like... Is, are you talking to us, Heavy yeah. 11, you know, American 11? And Otta's telling the people on the plane, stay in your seats, don't do anything stupid, you know. And, and the tower's going, what is, are you, are you trying to contact us? It was everyone, they were so confused as to what was going on. Now, I know at the time you had, your daughters were already little. born. They were, they were in school. They were, and so was mine. So what did you do with them? Oh, almost instantly we went and picked them up. By the time I got to the school, because their school was right at the Delray Boca line and we lived in Lake Worth at the time, the school had told all the kids, all the older kids knew about it. There was a line of people trying to pick up their children. The kids were, I remember, Caroline was really young, but Sam was a little bit older and she was like in tears. She said, you know, what happened? Yeah. And but our that phone, conversation was tough. And, you know, and, and then we tried not to let him know that, you know, this was your dad's plane that just crashed into the World Trade Center. And your dad, in all intent and purposes, should have been on that plane. And, and by the act of God or whatever the case may be, uh, the remorse that my ex-husband suffered was really intense. Because, you know, he doesn't pick his replacement. He just asks for a transfer and, you know, switch days. And American Airlines will move their 60,000 employees around but to accommodate But he knew those him. people on the plane. We went to the funerals, yeah. It, it, was, uh, it, was, it was horrific. But would the outcome have been different? I don't know. Uh, my husband, ex-husband, would never go out down without a fight. But would he have had the opportunity to react? Were they ambushed from behind? Did they not even have the time? the box cutter, yeah, right. Yeah, did they, they even have time to react? I think most commercial pilots, 
as, as my ex-husband's famous words were every time I flew, just remember, and I probably shouldn't share this, just remember the pilots don't want to be the first on the scene. And I used to go, wow. And he said, we don't want to see the ground first. And, mm-hmm. and I'd be like, well, I, I guess that puts things in perspective. Because you know me, I don't like flying. Yeah. I avoid flying every shape, way, and well, form. You mentioned you were going on vacation. Were you going to fly somewhere? We were going to Rhode Island, actually, to so see my parents. So no flights then, after no, that? No, and then after that, it, he got grounded for a long time. And uh, then every then protocol changed. Then they all went back to training. But he, he was home for a long, long time. And you said you went to the funerals. Were, were they held in Boston? Miami. Oh, in Miami. Yeah, it was a Miami-based crew. At least the guy we went to the funeral for. It was uh, one of the pilots, and it was the captain, and it was, I think, one of the flight attendants. Boy, that had to be a tough conversation with his wife. I, I don't know if she knew. Oh, okay. I, and we weren't going to tell her. I, I mean, my ex wanted to. I was like, don't, please. You know, Should it's have like been put, me. Yeah, yeah, don't put salt in the wound here. This is like ridiculous. Yeah. But it, to think that could happen again. Yes. Is even more frightening to me today after what just happened in Afghanistan. You can't tell me there's not terrorist organizations already that hate us. Now they have the firepower to do it. I, I'm... I don't know. Now that you've gone through it, 20 years have passed, do you have a family plan if something like that should happen again? That's a great question. No. Because I I I mean, how do you plan for something like that? You know, I can tell you this. The kids wanted to go to Disney World. You know, it was when Disney, remember, Disney closed. It was like, wow, Disney closed. Jeez, that's scary. Um, And we thought, well, you know, we'll we'll do something fun with the kids. and And I was like, no, we're not going anywhere where there's a crowd. Not now. Till they can figure all of this out. I wouldn't go to a football game. I wouldn't go to a baseball game. I wasn't taking these kids anywhere. Right. Like, remember, you stay in the backyard in the pool. I don't think anybody's going to come after us here. You know? Remember when President Bush went and threw out the first pitch? Yeah. I was so afraid for him. Something was going to happen. I yeah. did. I felt. And he, here he was in Sarasota that day. Right. Reading you know? the kids. Oh, and the, and the. Oh, my goodness. And the attacks that he got. I'm thinking, what was he supposed to do? Stand up in front of these little kids and go, oh, we're under attack. I was no, like, what do you expect the, the man to do? He was very composed and did the right thing. Yeah. So, yeah, it's uh, frightening, and let's hope it, we don't relive it ever again. Thank you, Jennifer Ross, for your stories. Truly Thank compelling. You. Thank you, Karen Curtis, for having me. Coming up, of all places to be on 9-11, Bill Adams from the South Florida Morning Show was grateful to be on the air with you. 9-11-01, 20 years later, continues right after this on News Talk 850 WFTL. On September 11, 2001, four events occurred within an hour and 15 minutes of one another. The loss of life in New York City is utterly unbelievable. May God bless the victims, their families, and America. We now return to 9-11-01, 20 years later. Here's Karen Curtis on News Talk 850 WFTL. Where were you on 9-11-2001? I think anybody over 30 remembers exactly where they were and Bill Adams I know you remember where you were tell me about it 20 years 20 years first of all where did that go yeah uh radio I was on the country station WIRK at the time and I think to set this up Karen you know better than anybody what we were dealing with technology wise yes at the time and how different how different would this have been presented to the world if social media had been around first of all everybody would have captured those planes 
into the towers, as horrific as it would have been. It would have been on TikTok and Instagram and Facebook and Twitter immediately. And we would have gotten the story out as far as what the size were of the planes. I remember specifically when it happened, running down to, in the hallway we're looking at right now at the radio station, we had an old AP dot matrix printer. Remember those? Yes. And you'd rip it off the wire and run down the hall. and Rip and read. And I'll never forget, and I know that I kept this, and it's somewhere in my house. I wish I had it right now. We could uh, bring it in and take a picture of it. But the very first report that came in was a small commuter plane has crashed into a tower of the World Trade Center. And you're thinking, wow, that's pretty rough. That's 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 not good at all if a small plane crashes. I hope everything's okay. Then all of a sudden, it takes time for the major networks and local New York stations to get cameras down to the area. And then you start to see the damage of what it was. Still no one saw, at this point, the plane going in, so you still don't know what the size of it was. Did you at that time have a television monitor in the radio station? In, yes. In, okay, so you so you saw that iconic shot of the two towers with the smoke coming exactly. out of one of them, and exactly. we thought, okay, one plane hit. But we're all, remember we're all monitoring because you want to see, and we're still wondering because nobody had social media, nobody had cell, very few people had cell phones at the time. We're wondering, well, what what could have caused that damage? So we're all sitting there watching it live. Most of this country see the second plane, a jetliner hit the other tower, and then, I mean, I think this entire nation's collective heart just sank when that happened. We knew. Like, what is this? Were you still on the air? You were a morning show guy, right. so were right. you, it was at 9 o'clock right. that started happening. Right, still within... So were you on the air at the time? Yeah, exactly, right. And then when the second one hit, it turned into, well, let's give an occasional you know, casual update of what's happening here. Then all of a sudden, as everybody knows that's listening, whoa. Yes. This is something completely different. And then the questions come on. From there, at least in my case, it probably was for you at the time, too. I'm pretty sure it was 14, 15 straight hours on the air yeah. to give updates. And again, that thing wall just to goes wall. wall to wall just to try to update people with the limited information we had even then. Well, you had President Bush in Sarasota at the time. Exactly. So That's my right. head's spinning going, okay, we've got the president over there. Right. right. What's going to happen? What's going to happen? Where is he is in the he ground? Is he a target? And then... Uh, you know, remember, because all of this happened in the 9 o'clock hour, right? When they go on throughout the day, it's happening. Updates. Every single media outlet, you know, including all of our radio stations, turn into information sources. And I remember thinking probably around 12 o'clock, you know, r- right around noontime at the time when we start to hear reports of Shanksville, you know, Pentagon, all these other things happening here. I remember thinking, like everybody else, is this a national attack? Like, what what's happening here? The, the lack of answers. But I remember also saying, sp- clearly, clear as day, thinking in my head, I'm so happy I'm on the air right now, though, to yes. try to work this out and to try to share information for people. I'd rather be on the air during a hurricane or something like oh. that because you take out the emotion and you just report oh. the facts. Absolutely. But once they grounded all the flights and the president was the only plane in the air, then we knew that, the, okay, yes. so this is this is... Not going to happen right. anymore, but we have to figure out who, what, where, when, and why. Right, exactly. And l- let's look back again and remember that a lot of that information didn't come out for a long time. So there was a long time of wondering what was going on. And then you start to look towards, right. there was Pentagon reports, and they didn't really update everybody on what they knew at the time because of, you know, the danger element here. Well, they scrambled the F-16s out of Homestead mm-hmm. to go help uh, escort the president. He's flying around. But we knew the one airline came out of Boston, your hometown. That's right. They knew it was Flight 11, and that was the one with Muhammad Atta That's on right. it, who trained down here oh, at yeah. our Florida flight schools. But, you know, 
you probably flew on one of those flights out of Logan. Oh, same I, airline. I, of course, you know, and, and you th- then you're thinking, and then I think everybody just at home or at work and listening and, and trying to follow this along, putting our own pieces together. I think everybody pretty quickly put together that these were national flights full of fuel. That was one of the first things that you heard people saying in a hallway at work or, you know, talking to your friends and neighbors or on the phone at the time with, you know, your loved ones. But, you know, something was planned here that was way bigger. And as it turns out, it was. And your heart goes out to those people on those planes. Right, exactly. You put yourself in their seat thinking, oh my God. how would I feel right, if exactly. I knew this was it? And this was before we even got some of the audio from some of the, you know, plane to tower or actually plane to, you know, ground phone calls where they're making while all that was going on. That came out way later. I think at the time, just during the day when it happened, what we were all thinking was the same thing. You know, what's the larger effect here? What's planned? Were you married at the time? Uh, married, and Lauren was, let me see, seven months pregnant? Okay, so, because I, I had a daughter at the time, so I'm thinking family and where exactly. is she? And, but, you know, so you have to come up with a plan. After that happened, we're like, we need a family plan. We need a family plan, and I, I, I've talked to friends that we still bring up this story, people who had, you know, older kids we're spread out in colleges throughout the country. They're calling into panic. What do you do? Because we didn't know what to tell. Nobody knew what to tell family members because of the lack of information at the time, which, again, I think would have been so different today and in many ways better. Some ways it would have been worse because there would have been a lot of fake news coming out there, too. It's so immediate. It's so immediate as opposed to what it was back then. And you think about it, it wasn't that long ago. No. It really wasn't. Everything changed. But... Think of everything that changed from there, too, in daily life. We all know now, and I think we've all gone through complaining about, like, TSA lines and security. And every, it's still to this day, every time I go through and I talk about a, uh, you know, I'm taking a flight, I'm thinking, there's got to be a way to do this. There's got to be more security. But there's a reason why it's, why it's there. You know, and also, you think about airplanes, too. Do you remember, just back in the day, and maybe if you ever talked to airline officials, the word was always... Well, if you're ever in a hijack situation, you just give them what they want. Right. That changed forever on that day. You'll never see that again. And and now you even see there's so many recent examples of this here, you know, after the pandemic. Somebody will cause a ruckus on a flight or is drunk or is something. Passengers just start beating them. And duct taping them to and the chair. Now we duct tape them. <laughs> the world changed in so many different ways, you know, on that day. And I, don't, I just don't think it's something anybody will ever forget. And you were on a country station at the time, and you became an information right. station at that point. As a lot of stations did. Right. You just, and so the country music listeners are like, what is going on? Yeah, exactly. People driving down the road because right. they don't... Well, 20 years ago, we didn't have iPhones. No, exactly. So you're, you know... Uh, you were the information. Ex- and, and like I said, I was so happy to be in that role. I really, really was. I was grateful for it. Like I said, 14, maybe 15 hours straight, just providing any updates we had, but it... It, it was almost like it flew by. Yeah. Because we were all waited with baited, waiting with bated breath for the next little piece of information, something we could put together for the puzzle to try to get answers. Well, those terrorists, the 19 of them, trained in Afghanistan with al-Qaeda, mm. and now Afghanistan has fallen back to the Taliban. So let's hope that something like this does not happen again. No kidding. That the seeds don't start to grow there again. Well, you got that right. Because I don't think this is the kind of 20th anniversary of a horrible event that any of us were looking forward to, but looking you know, forward to, but here we are. Thank you, Bill Adams, for sharing your story about where you were 20 years ago on 9-11. Coming up, the one and only Joyce Kaufman talks about how 9-11 not only changed the world, it changed her forever. 
9-11-01, 20 years later, continues right after this on News Talk 850 WFTL. On September 11, 2001, four events occurred within an hour and 15 minutes of one another. The loss of life in New York City is utterly unbelievable. May God bless the victims, their families, and America. We now return to 9-11-01, 20 years later. Here's Karen Curtis on News Talk 850 WFTL. I'm Karen Curtis, and we are reliving and remembering where we all were. 20 years ago on 9-11-2001, that fateful day where we saw 2,977 people die because of a terrorist attack. And the one woman who's been on the air for like way before that and to this day is Joyce Kaufman. And I'm sure you remember what you were doing that day. How are you? I'm very well. And of course I remember, you know, there are some significant moments in history if you live through them. They'll always be burned indelibly on your mind, and that's certainly the biggest one for me. It's interesting because at the time, I was not actually on the news station. I was primarily on a sister station, but that morning, I was working out in a gold gym when I saw the story unfold. So I called into the radio station, and the program director at the time told me I needed to get there ASAP. Right, so you're working so, out and they had TVs there in the gym and you looked correct. up? I looked up and I saw the first uh, scene of the first plane hitting the building and I remember thinking to myself, this is not an accident. Um, I better get ready to get called in. And then, of course, within 15 minutes, um, I knew that it had been an attack and that we were in big trouble. So... I headed into the radio station, which at the time was located in Lake Worth. Now, you're from New York. What were you thinking as a New Yorker, first of all? I know you're in Lake Worth at that time, but you must have been thinking about your fellow citizens in New York. Not only was I thinking about my fellow citizens, but I was thinking about the interviews that I had scheduled for when I was actually supposed to go into work, and I was doing a business show at the time. And the first guest that I had scheduled was someone who was in the World Trade Center. Uh, so I immediately thought, oh, my gosh, you know, is, is he okay? Is he going to be all right? Um, and, and how's this day going to shape up? Uh, I also knew that my brother had a job appointment, a job interview scheduled for that morning at the World Trade Center. Wow. So I was very anxious, that's for sure. What happened with the interview? Was he, did he get out of the building? He never got there. He, oh. You know, he, his interview was like at 11 o'clock, and so everything transpired before that. But um, I didn't know what time his interview was. I presumed it would be early in the morning, but he did contact me later. He lives down in that area, so it was still, it had a tremendous impact on him anyway. Absolutely. So you, mm-hmm. with your, you know, quick and and nimble mind must have been thinking, this is terrorism. Did you go directly to Osama bin Laden? Interestingly enough, I knew it was a terrorist attack, but I wasn't really sure um, who had, you know, done this. Uh, And I got to the radio station. At the time, we had a radio host on who has since, uh, you know, is deceased by the name of Jack Cole. Right. And when I got into the studio... Um, and Jack and I stayed on the air along with Tony Marino, who people hear now doing uh, weather and traffic. 
we got into that station and we never left that studio for probably 36 hours. I mean, people would pass out on the floor and other people would take their place, but it was pretty intense. And about an hour into the broadcast, Jack said Osama bin Laden, and I had no idea who he was talking about. Oh, really? I did not know the name Osama bin Laden. I had never heard the name before. And remember, I'm now doing business broadcasts, right. not necessarily political or news shows. So um, I was unfamiliar with the name. And actually, Jack Cole was the first person I ever heard say that name. Huh. And he said it that morning. And I, I said, well, what are you talking about? And he proved to be very right. How do you feel that the Taliban now says that UBL was not part of what happened 20 years ago? I don't believe anything the Taliban says, unlike President Biden. I know that they are liars. And, you know, the whole premise of, uh, you know, radical Islam is that you're allowed to lie as long as you're furthering the cause. So we're speaking with Joyce Kaufman about her memories uh, 20 years ago, 9-11, what she was doing. And she was on the air, as she always is. And you had children at that time, because I know uh, that uh, they're grown adults now. So what happened? What went off in your mind about your family? Well, my daughter was still in New York. She was a senior at Columbia (gasps) University. So I was concerned about how New York was going to be handling all of this. I knew she was way uptown, or at least that was my thought at the time. So she would be safe. My son was a freshman at Harvard. And he was working during the uh, afternoons at the Hillel Center, which is like the Jewish center for students at Harvard. And they, he called me to tell me that they were locked down, that all the Jewish students had been told to go to the Hillel, and they were locked in there. Wow. Which I thought was fascinating. That told me a lot about what they knew already. Right. Boy. And being in Florida, my thoughts went to the fuel farm in Broward County, first of all, you know, with all that petroleum. And I thought, you know, it's the largest fuel farm on the East Coast. Uh, And then I'm like, I need to go get my daughter. So I called my ex-husband, go get Katrina. But, you know, we don't really have a family plan for something like that. Do you have one now, 20 years later? Well, now with my adult children and, and, you know, it's difficult to have any kind of plan. One's in L.A., one is in uh, San Francisco. So whatever they're planning on doing, um, I'm sure they'll they'll contact me by telephone or, or WhatsApp or something. God forbid anything should go down like this. I think they're concerned more with my well-being because... You know, uh, what happens, Karen, is 20 years ago, I was still a relatively young person, and they probably wouldn't have worried. But today, uh, they see me as vulnerable. They would be concerned and probably track me down wherever I was. Yeah, absolutely. You remember President Bush was in Sarasota on that day. And remember, Air Force One took off like a rocket straight up in the air, and they scrambled the jets out of Homestead to, um, to fly with him. He was the only one in the air after a while. And that was the weirdest thing. Well, the whole thing was weird because we were then watching videotape of him sitting in that classroom reading a book to children and the look on his face. I'll never forget that, you know. Yeah. And but that he Mm -hmm. waited, though, and finished reading. Mm -hmm. He didn't want to to upset the children, which was wise. But no, Mm -hmm. I mean, he was just uncharted territory back then. And when the second plane hit, it became you became aware. Were you on the air then when the plane hit the Pentagon? 
I stayed on the air until literally we were on the air for 36 hours straight uh. within the confines of, of the five of us that were there that day. And then I stayed on the air every day for the next week and a half, even though I was not really a part of age 50 at the time. But I do think that it's difficult to separate your emotions. I, you know, I'd rather be on the air during a hurricane and during something like that because then I can just concentrate on the facts. But it's hard to separate your emotions when you're on the air and a plane hits the Pentagon, you know, and also trying to impart information to the listening audience. It's difficult. It's very difficult because things are happening very quickly. Information is coming in, some of it verifiable, some of it not so much. Um, I, I really, uh, it was uncharted territory, but having lived through a couple of these kinds of moments, um, I think in retrospect, we did an amazing job. I remember doing the Oklahoma City bombing. I was by myself on the air when that happened. And we had no information, I mean, at all. All we were doing was looking at a television set which showed us, you know, uh, firemen carrying infants out of a daycare center. And we really didn't know what what had happened or how it had happened. It was, you know, could have been a, a gas explosion. We had no idea. With the World Trade Center, we knew we were under attack. We didn't know how long the attack would last or how many places would be impacted for hours. So it's, it kept unfolding, and the characters uh, kept becoming more and more real. We knew that we had people who, whose names we knew on that plane that crashed in Shanksville. We knew there were people in the World Trade Center. I, I for instance, knew a whole lot of people were in the World Trade Center that day because I was doing a financial show at the time. And so these were real people to me. And as emotional as it was, I know I was focused on giving out information and comforting the audience who had no idea in in real time what was going on. Because they didn't have iPhones or Twitter or anything back then. Now, Joyce Kaufman, we've got 20 Mm. years later, Afghanistan has fallen to the Taliban. We know that Mohammed Atta and the other 19, all of them, terrorists, trained with al-Qaeda, he did in Afghanistan. You've got uh, the Taliban taking over, releasing the ISIS-K, like 2,000 of them, from prisons. What do you think is going to happen? Do you think it's going to become a haven for terrorism and for more camps and training? There's no question in my mind. And and what it really reminds me of is the fact that uh, we hit the snooze button a couple of years ago and forgot all about 9-11. And there's a whole generation, particularly these young Marines who we saw who fought and perished uh, in, in Afghanistan just last week. They weren't even alive, right. some of them, or, you know, they were babies when 9-11 happened. And I think uh, we have not paid enough attention to that uh, terrorist groupings which still exists. You know, they weren't hitting us at home, so we kind of put it on the back burner. But now uh, it's quite obvious that they will be regrouping if they have not already regrouped. And now now they have $85 billion worth of the high-tech American equipment, Blackhawk helicopters, arsenals, and they didn't have that back then. You know, they had to fly an airplane into a building. Now they could actually launch an attack on any of our allies or on us. It was pretty ingenious, their attack. But, you know, we killed Osama bin Laden May 2nd, 2011. Do you think that we kind of let off on the gas after that? 
Exactly. We hit the snooze button, went back to sleep and pretended that this was not no longer an issue. And it remains an issue. This is a battle between civilizations. And the other side doesn't care if it takes 100 years or 1,000 years. And we think in terms of 100 minutes. Right. Uh, they will endure and they will continue to do what they always intended to do, which was to establish an Islamic caliphate. And we stand in the way of that. So we're, we're in trouble. And I don't know that many of us have confidence in the ability of Congress or this president to manage this situation. I know I don't have confidence. So 20 years have gone by. If you could look back at that time, what would you have done differently on that day? Well, that's an interesting question. I probably would have become more emotional than I did, because I think I stored up a lot of the uh, pain and anger that I was feeling that day so that I could be competent on the air. Right. And it came back to haunt me for years. I would have nightmares about it. And I, you know, I know today that the frustration and the sadness that I was feeling that day um, was important. And I should have experienced it a little differently. But, you know, we do what we do, Karen. Like you said, if a hurricane comes, I can't be worrying about my, you know, shutters holding up at my home because I'm at the radio station and I'm giving people the information that they need to not freak out. So uh, there's there's a, you know, sort of a little PTSD for all of us right. who live through these events on the air. I just remember after the fact how everybody had an American flag that was on their car. Remember? Yeah. It was oh, it, sure. the whole country congealed. And we became, mm-hmm. you know, USA strong. And, you know, it just gives you goosebumps. And maybe that's what this country needs today, because it certainly is fractured. And there's a large group of the population that doesn't even like the USA. I think you're right. And I, you know, I've always dreaded the thought that the only thing that could bring us together would be a tragedy of that magnitude. Um, the difference this time is the leadership. And I was not a George Bush supporter. But I watched him rise to the challenge uh, in the aftermath of 9-11. And in many ways, he became the sheriff that we could all hide behind in, uh, you know, an old episode of Gunsmoke. Um, He seemed indomitable, and he seemed as though he had a command of the situation. The thought of being in that same position, of being attacked here on the homeland with the current administration, scares me no end. Yeah. Right? I mean, wow, asleep at the wheel, would you say? Yeah, yeah. And, and, and of course, it's the people surrounding this administration. You know, these are people who don't ever believe there's a reason to defend America. They find so much fault with America that, you know, maybe it's justifiable if something catastrophic should happen to us. This is a point in time where we need leadership who is proactive, who realizes that there's still an enemy out there and that we need to fight it over there, not over here. Yes. Well, and it's interesting because you said, you know, 20 years, many of these women over in Afghanistan have lived 20 years without, you know, being under the Taliban Sharia law. And so they have no idea what's in store for them. These these people are from like the 14th century. Yeah. Oh, that's giving them credit. Uh, they're like from the 7th century. But uh You're right. I mean, this is going to be a very rude awakening for some of those uh, young people in Afghanistan. But on the other hand, you know, there's 
there is a something that Americans don't seem to understand, which is not all societies are destined to be democracies. And there are some societies that will not make the changes necessary long term to live in a free country. Uh, I don't know, you know why things collapsed as quickly and as dramatically as they did. We'll find that out uh, over, the, over time. But I have a tendency to believe that when we try to turn countries like Afghanistan or Iraq into Western civilization, it never really works because the people really don't crave what we have. And, and if you don't want this, if you're not willing to, you know, to, to, to spill the blood in patriotic fervor, then you'll give in to the nearest dictator that comes along. Yeah, the president we installed over there you taught at Johns Hopkins, and he, yeah. he left with millions of dollars and just took right. off. Right. He, you know, and his daughter is an artist in Soho. You know, it's it's not exactly the normal Afghanistan uh, experience. Oh, you his know, other son worked it, for it, Pete Buttigieg. Right, right. Who's on the campaign for Buttigieg? So that's what I tell you. What you know, that his thinking is Americanized and Westernized, but the people who are there now, the Taliban, ISIS K, all of these groups, they still think in the seventh century, and the people really don't know life beyond that. Even if they did have fifteen or twenty years of more modernization. It never really lasts. It didn't last in Iran. It didn't last in Iraq. It doesn't last unless the people themselves want it. Right. Uh, look at Syria. You know, we don't even talk about them anymore, but the Middle East is in flames. And it's really kind of biblical when you think about it. It is. And, and that we left $85 billion worth of military supplies there. They're like one of the most militarized powerhouse nations in the world now. Yeah. And and what if they decide to go and uh, attack Pakistan? They'll then become a nuclear power as well. Oh, wow. Well, Joyce Kaufman, I hope we don't have this conversation again in another 20 years. Man, <laughs> I, I, I hope not, too. But thanks for sharing your story with us. We really appreciate it. Amen. God bless America. Coming up. My own personal experience on that fateful day and some closing thoughts. 9-11-01, 20 years later, continues right after this on News Talk 850 WFTL. On September 11th, 2001, four events occurred within an hour and 15 minutes of one another. The loss of life in New York City is utterly unbelievable. May God bless the victims, their families, and America. We now return to 9-11-01. 20 years later, here's Karen Curtis on News Talk 850 WFTL. I'd say if you're over 30, you're going to remember where you were on 9-11-2001. I'm Karen Curtis. In 2001, I had just turned 40, so I was well aware of what was going on. I was working on radio and in television in the Miami-Dade Fort Lauderdale market when the planes started hitting their marks. September 11, 2001, 20 years ago, 19 men, mostly from Saudi Arabia, who trained with al-Qaeda in Afghanistan, learned to fly right here in South Florida. They hijacked four U.S. commercial airplanes bound for West Coast destinations. A total of 2,977 people were killed in New York City, Washington, D.C., and outside of Shanksville, Pennsylvania. The attack was orchestrated by al-Qaeda leader 
Osama bin Laden, who we killed in 2011. On that fateful morning, I was working at Metro Networks, a Westwood One company, and I was their airborne traffic and breaking news reporter. And by that time at 9 a.m., I was back on the ground. I only flew during rush hour, so I flew a split shift. And I was standing in the producer's ring, which has a wall of television monitors showing all the affiliates in the Miami market. I provided traffic and breaking news for NBC6, but I ran the camera in the helicopter for all the stations. It was a pool ship. So suddenly, all the monitors popped up the iconic static shot of the Twin Towers with black smoke billowing out of the side of one of the towers about three-quarters of the way up. Now, at that time, shortly after 9 o'clock, the networks were saying that a small plane had crashed into one of the towers. Then suddenly, another commercial jetliner entered the frame and smashed into the other tower. And it quickly became apparent that we were under attack. Our boss had us all contact all the affiliates that we worked for, which at that time I provided traffic and breaking news for NBC6 TV and 101.5 Light FM. So... I started reporting everything I knew about what was going on. And as the morning dragged on, I got more and more concerned for my family. Now, I knew the president, George W. Bush, was in Sarasota. He was talking to elementary school kids. Was he a target? That was a worry. Were we a target in Miami-Dade and Broward? In fact, the largest petroleum fuel farm on the east coast of the United States is located in Broward County at Port Everglades, right next to Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International Airport. One-fifth of Florida's energy requirements come from that fuel farm. Every day, more than 12 million gallons of petroleum products are delivered on a tank ship and barges to Port Everglades. So I thought, wow, if you flew a plane into that, that would be a huge explosion. I mean, what if someone flew a jet into the fuel farm? So I called my ex-husband. I told him, go get our daughter, Katrina, who was seven at the time. She was at school at Westminster Academy, which is located about six miles north of the fuel farm in Fort Lauderdale. Sean said, oh, my God, you're overreacting. And at that moment, another plane crashed into the Pentagon. And I said, go get her. Another plane just crashed into the Pentagon. So he got her. And my daughter to this day tells me that she was the only student taken out of class. But... Still, I had to be sure. So I was on the air on multiple stations because we had that capability. So as I'm on air and reporting, more planes are crashing in real time. And it's difficult to balance accurate, emotionless reporting with the horror of what was unfolding. Plus, I was worried about my daughter. I flew out of Opelika, Lantana, North Perry, and Fort Lauderdale Hollywood International Airports at one time or another, where the terrorists, especially the ringleader, Mohammed Atta, trained and learned to fly. Well, they learned to take off, not land. He, in fact, Mohammed Atta, was my neighbor at the Rod Laver Delray Racket Club. I lived there in 1997, and he was there in 2000-2001. Now, these terrorists had trained at our Florida flight schools, had hung out in our gyms, at our hair salons, bars, strip clubs, and grocery stores. But that day, all we knew was that somebody was coordinating an attack on our country. All flights had been grounded at that time and would be for weeks. I had two tickets to Paris in mid-September to take my seven-year-old daughter to France. That would not happen. Bush was again at the elementary school in Sarasota. Air Force One eventually took off like a rocket straight up in the air from Sarasota Airport. 
And at that point, Air Force One and the accompanying F-16s that were scrambled out of Homestead Air Force Base were the only planes in the sky. So that day highlighted the fact that as a family, we needed a plan in the future going forward in case something like this happens again. And with Afghanistan now in the hands of the Taliban, it is possible. Thank you to Jennifer Ross, Bill Adams, and Joyce Kaufman for sharing their stories today. And thank you for listening to 9-11-01, 20 years later, on News Talk 850 WFTL. I'm Karen Curtis.